Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show... Mean Machine, a towering display from Newcastle's defence, frustrates Old Trafford. Media Machine, Eels and Ashworth take on the press pack. And Perpetual Motion Machine, two games in four days as the World Cup fixture crunch begins. Yes, hello, this is Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne, and it's very pleasing to be able to welcome George back to the pod, even though he hasn't quite returned from the good old US of A. George, how the devil are you over there on the other side of the world? Well, I do feel like a long way away. Yes, good morning to you as it is here. Good afternoon to you, London. Um, this is London, this is Portland calling. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm I'm coming home later today, actually, but um, wanted to do the pod this week. How can I not, after all these great results? And yeah, doing all right. Missed you. You've been a huge miss, by the way. You've been. A I've huge listened miss. to the podcast, Taylor. I know you're talking absolute shit there, so um, you've done very Chris well. Chris has missed you so much. You've done very well without me. He's just not been himself. No, I'm the wind beneath Chris's wings. He he, he wouldn't want to acknowledge that publicly, but uh, but it is the truth. He's lost without me. Are you all right now, Chris? Now you've got your maid back. I was feeling better before I just listened to that drivel from Colgan there. <laughs> it was drivel. It was drivel. <laughs> but no, no, I am, uh, I am, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, I was, at, I was all, Old Trafford yesterday, and I've re- not returned for once, having just lost count of how many goals Manchester United put past Newcastle United. Yeah. So that was good in that sense. So yes, I'm feeling good. Good stuff. Well, I got up at five o'clock yesterday morning to watch that match. Started at six o'clock over here, so I was um, sitting in front of the telly on my own with a. A strong cup of coffee, but it's quite difficult to get used to those rhythms, the slightly different rhythms over here. But no, it was great, just great to be able to to do that. And yeah, exactly as Chris says, go, see Newcastle go there and not not get humiliated. Quite the opposite. I went out for a lovely walk down at the coast before the game kicked off. I thought I'd get myself all prepared, go for a lovely walk. And as I'm driving home, I had the radio on, and who would appear on the radio? Well, he wouldn't appear. He would appear in sound. <laughs> making a mockery of broadcasting it's our very own Chris Woff and then after the game later on I turned on uh, YouTube and had a look at Eddie Howe's press conference and who's got his massive head right in the middle of the camera yet again it's none other than Christopher Waffles you're just you're everywhere aren't you Chris which you can't get rid of you I did accidentally delay the start of that press conference because I couldn't I forgot how to turn on my dictaphone so I stood in the front for a good couple of minutes (laughs) and they were looking at me Uh, yeah he is becoming increasingly ubiquitous on our air- airwaves. He is, I, isn't he? I think this must be, this should be stopped. 
It's like who who are those actors you turn the television on that they're always in something? He's like one of those, yeah, isn't he? I know what you mean. He's 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 one of those. You can't remember their name, but they're always there. They're always there, being annoying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anyway, speaking of being annoying, Newcastle United certainly annoyed Manchester United yesterday, didn't they, Chris? Nil uh, nil at the end of the game. The impenetrable, impenetrable, impenetrable defence. It's easy for you to say. Had three goals at that. Uh, Botman and Cher really put in a shift, and we ended up going away with a point. Not a bad result altogether. It wasn't. And just before I get on to the defence, Newcastle certainly did wind up the Old Trafford crowd, which I have to say was brilliant. I thought it was absolutely wonderful to hear how frustrated everyone was, and that, and and I know you tweeted about it. You got very angry, Taylor, at, at, at Cristiano Ronaldo and is what looked like is uh, is little children, uh, his fellow classmates, Honestly, surrounding pathetic. referee. Yeah, pathetic with his schoolyard bollocks chasing the referee around the pitch. Yeah, with a goal that like was a never a goal. It was just like the most bizarre thing children. I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, I don't even think he actually really believed it was a goal. So that was the weirdest bit of it all. Uh, sir, he took the free kick already, sir. Tell him. Uh, it's a goal. Uh. The beautiful thing about that, the last time Newcastle were at Old Trafford, I think that was Ronaldo, it was Ronaldo's first game, wasn't it? It was. Ronaldo scores a couple and it was like Old Trafford welcoming the prodigal son home. Newcastle lose 4-1. You know, just the contrast with that. I mean, I know we think, think a lot and talk a lot in terms of contrast, but... Ronaldo getting subbed off after whatever it was, 70 minutes, grumping his yeah. way on the Nearly bench. Tripped over his lip on the way off, Yeah, didn't yeah, shaking his head. And just as a, you know, as a Newcastle fan, that's just such a beautiful thing to see. And, you know, again, Newcastle going to uh, one of the, you know, one of the great traditional grounds. And the only thing you thought, the only thing you could hear on the telly over here was Newcastle fans singing. Absolutely. And so those, just, just those two things together, Ronaldo sulking off and the silence of the stadium. Just brilliant, brilliant. In terms of the defence, Taylor, I mean, this is what... I'll be honest, after about an hour of the game, I was trying to think about what I was going to write about, and I was I was a little bit unsure at that stage, because in some ways it was a bit of a nothing match, certainly the second half in bits, but then you actually think about it, and first of all, Newcastle have gone to, to Old Trafford, and, and they've kept a clean sheet, which was the fourth of the season. And this is a side who, last year, across the course of 2021, Newcastle set the unwanted Premier League record of conceding 80 goals in a calendar year. Yeah. And this year, they've completely transformed that under Eddie Howe, and they now have the best defensive record so far in the Premier League this season, conceded only nine in 10 games. And considering two of those matches have been at Anfield and Old Trafford, where historically Newcastle have regularly conceded four and five goals at each, they've also played Man City at home. Three of those goals were conceded against Man City, actually. And they... What's wonderful about the defence as well, it's not like Newcastle are sitting back as they were previously. This is a team who are trying to take the game to the opposition. They are playing higher up the pitch. They are looking to be more offensively dominant. And yet, aside from really two chances in the last five minutes, Man United didn't really look like scoring. Botman and Cher were wonderful together at centre-back. I thought Cher was man of the match. He was absolutely tremendous. Basically ran himself in the ground in the end and had to go off because he couldn't... And he got battered all over as well, didn't he? He did. And... and, um, and then at, at right back here in Trippier, really, really good once again. His delivery, certainly first half from set pieces, w- w- was brilliant. And then Dan Burnett at, at left back. Yeah, I understand that, that some fans are frustrated by seeing him there. And I can, I can understand why to a certain degree. But I thought that he played relatively well. I thought he kept Anthony, Anthony quiet. 
Um, a couple of times he got beaten for pace, but then they managed to, to sort of reshape it a little bit and make sure that, that he didn't keep getting done. But then it's also the rest of the team, the, the work rate that goes throughout the team to, to really make Newcastle such a solid defensive unit. That is, of all of the post-takeover transformations, the fact that Newcastle have the meanest defence in the Premier League after 10 games so far this season is up there with the most extraordinary. It's incredible. You said, you said in your excellent piece there, which I love the headline of it, because it's just Newcastle United, colon, mean. <laughs> You've then said that you know Newcastle United have the best defensive record in the Premier League. It may not be the sexiest sentence that supporters have read over the past year, but I think that is sexy. I'm turned on by this, by that version. <laughs> Uh, Say it again. I mean, I am, oh, I, I am turned on by Fabian Shear. I mean, that's oh, like all red-blooded oh, men and women because um, he's gorgeous, <laughs> fucking gorgeous. Um, but that is, but that is sexy. I mean, seeing your team go to Anfield and irritate the fuck out of Liverpool, seeing them go to Manchester United and have the skill to do what they did yesterday. It's not yeah. anymore. It's not just about sitting back, taking a pounding. If you're lucky, getting away with it, and if you're not. Getting probably getting hammered. This was an aggressive form of defence. You know, the first half in particular, they're pressing, they're pressing high up the pitch, they're trying to make De Gea make mistakes, they're doing that. They were the better team by far in the first half, I thought. And yes, it was a different Manchester United after half-time. But I, th- I think that that level of commitment, that level of skill, I don't think you mentioned Botman there when you talked about the defence, Chris. I think he's turning into a... I think we're now seeing what Newcastle bought, to put it that way. And um, he just looks a quality Rolls-Royce kind of player. I've seen that description of him a lot on social media, but that's what he is. He, he just purrs when he plays. It's, it's, it's beautiful. So I, I think it is sexy. I think it's sexy. I was really proud of that, of that performance yesterday. I thought they were excellent. I think first half Newcastle went and did, did have a go. And then second half, I don't know whether it was fatigue. They looked leggy, actually, second half, which I was surprised by because Man United had played on the Thursday night. They were the team you thought might tie a second half. Newcastle looked a bit a bit leggy and really weren't enough of an attacking force after the break. And basically, for the last 20 minutes, Jason Tindall and Eddie Howe were stood on the touchline urging the team to get higher because they just kept on dropping deeper and deeper. And that did look reminiscent of the previous Newcastle in some ways. But for the first half, I thought that they did give it a good go and, and it, by the break, were probably unfortunate not to be ahead. Yeah, I, I said it towards the end of the first half, they're not going to be able to keep this tempo up. They're going to be knackered. And, and when they came out in the second half, it did look like they'd taken the foot off the gas. Um, Ten Hag, he, I mean, he described uh, the match as physical, uh, but he was delighted, apparently, to match Newcastle. Uh, he called us one of the fittest sides in the league, and, you know, we did, like you say, we did run bit, run out of steam a little bit. We used five subs. Man United only used one, George. Uh, but those changes were made, and it did change the game a little bit. Newcastle dropped a lot deeper, but they still contained Man United. They only had three shots on target in the entire game. If you think about what Nick Pope had to do or not do, there just wasn't there wasn't much, was there? Because they didn't breach through to that point, albeit they did have those two very good chances towards the end. And I mean, I think we have to say when we when we praise Newcastle's performance in the first half, I think we have to also recognise that that was a very poor Man United team that was a poor man united first half but again you do have to reach for context and you know the context is that um i don't think newcastle have conceded more goals to any other team in the premier league than they have to manchester united we know that they've only won once at old trafford since the 17th since the early 70s so it's a one-off game but it's not a one-off game in the context of this season this is very much a theme of this newcastle and they are they're physical and you know that you're going to get a shift 
from everybody. One of the things I really like, which I've obviously not been able to speak about in the last couple of weeks, is a few weeks ago, a few games ago, we were looking at players like Jacob Murphy and Almiron, Chris's, Chris's uh, good friend, and um, you know, wanting more of a contribution from those players who were slightly on the periphery but were playing in a position that we knew that the club were trying to strengthen in the summer to see these players come in and properly graft and properly be part of it has been has been really encouraging as well. And those contributions are coming from everywhere now. I want to talk about some of those refereeing decisions in a moment. But um, one thing I really want to mention before we go any further is Joe Linton hitting the post and the crossbar within the space of two seconds. Oh, he should have scored, Chris, shouldn't he? The second one should be a goal. The first one's a really, really good header, actually. It's a the, great the, header. The, yeah. It's instinctive, that first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And instinctively... Joe Linton gets there. And the one sort of defence I will give for him is that the ball is is sort of, if you look, if you see the angle from behind the post, it is slightly moving to beyond the post. So he has got to redirect Wide, it slightly it? Yeah. back to where it is. He should definitely score, but he, he, he nods a pack across and it hits it hits the post and then Man United put it out for, for corner and bless him. It, it, would, be, it would be Joe Linton <sighs> that that would happen to. Bless him. Uh, yeah, let's let's move on to some of the refereeing decisions. There's been a big refereeing debate this weekend again after several incidents across the Premier League. It's questionable decisions, questionable decisions. Sorry for both sides, uh, but Craig Pawson, George, he didn't really look to have control of the game at times, did he? And, and obviously, Man United surrounded him with the free kick that never was. Uh, and and you know he he didn't look like he was in command. It looked like he was a little bit sort of intimidated by everything. And he's an, he's a He's an experienced referee, isn't he? Yeah, in games like that, you need authority, and I think once you've once you've shown a lack of authority, then you know players play up to that. And um, I didn't feel like he ever, as you say, didn't feel like he ever pro- really had proper control from the Newcastle perspective. The big decision or non-decision was the penalty on Callum Wilson. I thought, I mean, I, it looked like a penalty to me um, on the television replays they showed over here. What seemed the curious thing seemed to be that although they checked it on VAR, it seemed really, really quick that check. I mean, not that we can see that actually happening in real time, but it didn't feel like that was one that was deliberated for a long time. I thought that was a penalty. The free kick, I just couldn't. I mean, you know, the screen wasn't zeroing in on what was happening, but I mean, it didn't look like that didn't look like a Newcastle free kick had been taken to me, and I just thought that was a load of nonsense, really. Um, but Wilson, I thought, was very unlucky not to not to get a penalty. Chris, for a bit of balance, you're normally the contrarian in the group. <laughs> well, to, to give to give some defence to the referee from the angle. So the Old Trafford press box, where, where I was looking at it, was to my right, and the first angle that I saw of it, when you first saw what Wilson did, I thought he'd lost control of the ball. I thought he'd flicked it beyond, and I thought Martinez was going to get to the ball. So I was actually following Martinez, and at that point, I was thinking, mm, I think he's lost control of the ball. I'm not sure. I didn't really see the full contact, but I thought, mm, he's lost control of the ball. He's sort of gone down. And then when you see it again, I do think he has lost control of the ball to an extent, but Varane still comes and takes him out. So I do think it's a penalty. On the other side, I think Man United probably should have had a penalty during the second half. So I think there was a bad decision for either team. The Sancho one. Oh, yeah. The Sancho one. No, not yeah. the Sancho one. It was the Ronaldo one. It was Trippier on Ronaldo. I thought Trippier did catch Ronaldo oh, right, at a okay. different point in the game. There was the Sancho one. But I thought that was. I mean, it, it was. It, if he hadn't dived as much, yeah, he I think it lifted his feet up off the floor. Yeah. He might have got a decision yeah. there. And, mm-hmm. and just going to the. Just quickly going back to the free kick. The most ridiculous thing about that was the reason that Newcastle had the free kick in the first place was because Cristiano Ronaldo was miles offside. Yeah. And knew he was miles offside touched the ball got it back off Sancho and scored 
And it's just like, why, why did you touch the ball in the first place? You knew you were miles offside. Just typical of, of what Cristiano Ronaldo was like yesterday. But yeah, back to the, the original penalty. Yes, I thought it, it should have been a penalty in Newcastle, but I also think Man United probably should have had one as well. So We'll talk about some injuries later on, but we really missed the quality of Alan St. Maximin and, and Alexander Isak, didn't we? It would have been nice to have been able to bring one of those guys off the bench in the second half to give Newcastle a bit more impetus, wouldn't it? Yes, I think it would have been. I mean, Sam Maximan, there was a lot of, before before the game, I mean, the news had leaked, but before that, a lot of people were talking about whether he'd start at Old Trafford. I think that he probably would have brought him off the bench because I think he would have looked to start him at Everton because he'd be even more important in those sorts of home games. But yes, you again seeing Newcastle are a bit light in terms of attacking options off the bench. One of the ones that bring on was, was, was Chris Wood. And, and that's just, you've got to change the way that you play when you bring Chris Wood on. It's not you can't play in the same way that Newcastle have have tried to move towards uh, this season. And obviously, you no know, Isak, for a good few weeks, the one attacking signing that Newcastle made over the summer, the club record signing, they haven't been able to see enough of them. And I, th- I think what's been curious over the last few games is that actually Callum Wilson hasn't been in, and it, it, really central to them. Even during the first half at, at Fulham, he was, but then even during the 5-1 over Brentford, he wasn't absolutely central. And take out the, the, the penalty that wasn't, he wasn't in the game enough, I don't think, at Old Trafford, and, and that's a slight concern. Is that because of the lack of service to him, though, because we're missing some of those important forward players, or is it is it something he's doing wrong, Chris? I think, it, to a degree, it's both. I think that Newcastle aren't finding the, getting the ball to him enough, but but I also think that he maybe it's just because he was out for those few weeks and he's still looking for a bit of match sharpness. I don't think he still looks fully fit. Obviously, he didn't last the full 90 again, uh, managing him through these, these three... The, the, these three games in the course of the week and, and, and someone I'm going to be writing about before the Everton game who I think it would help if he'd start scoring some goals is is Joe Willock who I think has been very very good in recent weeks and Newcastle missed his legs for part of the game at Old Trafford I thought that ability to sort that athleticism in midfield but I'm going to mention XG again just to everyone's annoyance he has, Go for it. he has the second highest XG of any midfielder in the Premier League who hasn't scored yet this season he is getting in the positions. He is. He has had opportunities against Palace. He had two brilliant ones, and he's doing so much in a positive sense. But Newcastle really need goals from elsewhere. If they're not going to have Sam Maximan and Isak for 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 extended period. I was just going to say on Callum Wilson. I mean, he, so he's missed those five games. He missed five games with a hamstring injury, and I sort of wonder a little bit whether he's almost managing himself a little bit in matches. I know from running and having tears to my calf, or you know, happen all the time that. When you're recovering from that and you go out, there is al- there's almost this psychological thing in your head where you're half expecting something to happen. And it looks to me like he's playing a little bit like that. It's slight, I mean, maybe only by a couple of percentage points, but he's almost sort of being a bit too careful. Having said that, he needs to be careful because with the players who are out, if you know the idea of, of, of Callum Wilson being out when Isak's out, when St. Maxima is out, is not a very appealing one. You know, they are going to rely on him. I love watching him play. I love him when he's on the pitch. He does give defenders a hard time, but it doesn't feel like this is Callum Wilson at full tilt at the moment. It doesn't. Uh, Chris, something I wanted to mention to you as well and, and discuss. We talked about this earlier on at the top of the show, but Dan Byrne playing instead of Matt Target at the minute. If you're Matt Target, you've got to feel probably slightly aggrieved at the fact that you're not playing when you've just been signed. Um, but Byrne, is he is he doing a good enough job at left-back to hold that place down? I mean, he is putting in some performances, but he does have obvious limitations, doesn't he? Well, this is something a lot of fans are talking about, and I asked Eddie Howe 
first of all about playing Dan Byrne as a left back. This is at Friday's pre-match press conference, and I said, "Is it so, is it a position you see him playing long term?" And he sort of he gave quite a long-winded answer, but basically was saying we know he can play in that position. He would probably say that his his, his favourite position is left centre back, but but he he likes being higher up the pitch. He's enjoying playing there. And then I followed up by basically saying, "So well, why hasn't Matt Target been playing?" Now I knew that he'd had he'd had a bit of illness during the international break, and it sort of hadn't really been spoken about enough. So that was why he was initially left out against Fulham. But then obviously Burns retained his place and it was quite a short answer he gave to me. I don't think he particularly liked the question because mm. it basically ended it with, by saying, uh, and and the results speak for themselves, by saying we've just won two games, scored nine goals in the process. Yeah. And and I can see I can see where he's come from. And I I, I, I haven't been as down on Dan Burns playing as left back as I think a lot of people have been. That might be because I'm not as, as, as bowled over by Matt Target as I think some other people are. I think he's good and I think he's a better left-back option than Dan Byrne, but I don't think he's so massively superior that suddenly he completely transforms the way that Newcastle United are when he plays. Yes, they probably do lack a little bit in attack with them, but I don't I, I don't think it's absolutely huge in that sense. And I think physically and, and, and in terms of aerially, they gain something by having Dan Byrne there. So I don't see that being... More of an issue I have is I don't see Dan Byrne being the option long-term at left-back. And if he is, I would question why is Jamal Lewis and Paul Dummett, why are they both in the squad? So you have three left-backs, and yet your second-choice left-back at the moment, or even your first-choice left-back, is actually a centre-back, which just seems to me a bit of a bizarre balance to the squad. So I don't think it's likely to be long-term. I think probably one of the next two games, Matt Target will come back in at left-back, and then Eddie Howe has a decision to make, because he seems keen to have Dan Byrne in the team. Does he remove Sven Botman, which would be a huge decision given how he's playing, or does he does he actually drop Dan Byrne, which again would be harsh, but then you actually bring the left-back in the team. Just to go back to where we started, we're talking about the best defence in the Premier League. So, you know, you know, Absolutely, it's yeah. not a bad, it's not a bad problem to have. And it's, you know, this conversation, I mean, I do think it is interesting because, I mean, I don't think Target deserved to come out of the team. Dan Burners definitely not deserved to come out of the team. Botman has looked quality and got better week in, week out. Share is undroppable, Trippier is undroppable. Pope has been superb. I mean, how you make all of those people work is is sort of fascinating but it is working you know I mean I love I love you know we're not talking about which centre half has to get drafted in to shore up a team that's just shipped five goals we're talking about how do you modify a team which is defending better than anybody else in the Premier League that's fucking brilliant we'll be back in a little bit to talk about the Newcastle United hierarchy in a little bit more detail you can subscribe though in the meantime to The Athletic at a special price of just £1 a month for the first six months and to claim that offer, go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and get access to all of our great writing as well as ad free versions of the Athletics podcasts. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Sign up now. Come on, you Maggies. Hello, James Richardson here, presenter of the Totally Football Show. It's a show about football, and sometimes it's about life, and usually it's about an hour long. This Thursday, it's particularly about the midweek Premier League games, Ten Hag against Conte, South Coast Derby dust-up between uh, Bournemouth and Saints, and the story tradition of the all-West London-Brentford-Chelsea clash. I'll be asking dumb questions. Duncan Alexander, Carl Anker and Ahmed Schubel will have clever answers, and you can find all of that by searching for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts.
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Okay, lads, uh, in midweek, before the trip to Old Trafford, the press pack got the opportunity to sit down with the club's new CEO, Darren Eels, and the still quite fresh sporting director, Dan Ashworth. Chris, is it fair to say the Northeast's football writers have been keen to do this for a little while? Very much so, yes. I mean, I even signed off last week's podcast just about by saying that it was time for them to speak. The Oracle, Chris Wolf. The, Oracle. The, the email did drop before the podcast had gone, so we can't claim credit for it. I apologize. Um, but yes, it was something which we'd been pushing for, for to hear from people at the High Rocky at Newcastle. I think part of the reason why it had been delayed was that we were waiting to hear from the chairman, Yasser Ramayan, and we did then hear a statement. Well, we didn't hear from We read a statement on the day before the takeover anniversary, which was mainly just outlining ambition again, didn't have any specifics really, but hopefully that has, that has released the hierarchy who are in place, who are there to speak about football and to speak about with the direction of, of the club to, to do that. And so members of the Northeast press were invited to, to St. James's uh, and to, to one of the boxes on, on level five. Local media, were in, were, as in the local newspapers, were in one box, national newspapers in another. We had about 35 minutes each with... We had Darren Eels first as CEO, and and then uh, Dan Ashworth, the weird Darren Eels director. Weird Darren. We had Eels. It sounded like weird. I think. <laughs> well, I think you need to clarify. I'm not calling him. I'm not calling you weird, Darren. I apologise, Darren Eels. That was not what I said. <laughs> He's lovely as well. That's horrible. He is. He also he, Darren Eels also did. Um, this is a weird Al Yankovic tribute band. Is that what that is? <laughs> <laughs> Darren Eels later that night also took calls on uh, BBC Newcastle's uh, phone in Total Sport. Yes, but uh, yeah, basically the 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 interesting thing was so so Darren Eels sort of came in and, and and introduced himself and then answered questions. Darren Ashworth came in, introduced himself, and then for the first five minutes gave everyone a presentation. It was a five minute presentation where he had his laptop which he opened up, and it was basically so he could try and explain what a sporting director is and what they do. And he, he covered the nine department. He did the thing that we've already heard about before. He talked about being the center of the wheel. He showed himself as the center of the wheel. Nine departments, which he is the center of. Uh, at Newcastle spoke about and then he, he had another slide where he spoke about relationships between that and how he's the conduit between so many of those departments and how yes transfers are a big part of his remit but it's just one part of his of his wider remit and in, in terms of transfers one of the things that Darren uh, that Darren Ashworth sorry was asked about was the change in Newcastle United's approach from having for so long been seen as this stepping stone club this club that you would say you can come here and then you'll get a move to elsewhere, whether the philosophy now is going to change. Yes, um, and, and I'm, I'm pausing a little bit there because at some stage you have to trade 
And there's different sorts of player trading. So one of the things around financial fair play is you have to trade. We have to be able to generate some money to, to reinvest and go again. Now, that might be players where the club has outgrown them. It might be players that are at a different stage of their career. But you never can quite control when a, when a club or an opportunity comes knocking for a player that may be something that aspirationally they've always wanted to do. It might be a certain city in the world. It might be a club. It might be a country. And so sometimes, even though the the, the attraction of this, this club has changed, and I think that we'll be able to attract and hold on to our talent by having this journey and this improvement and hopefully you know, towards the top end of the league and competing for trophies. But there will be times, I can't lie to you and say that oh, we'll never have to sell a player or we never want, you know, we can always be able to hold on to our top talent. That, that doesn't happen anyway. Liverpool sold Manor, you know, they, 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 you have to sometimes make a pragmatic decision to go, okay, look, we'll do that because that's a way of, of reinvesting into the football club. But as a rule of thumb, I would like to think we'll be able to hold on to our, you know, our, our top talent in order to help drive our ambitions of, of, uh, of driving up the league and competing for cups. On the back of that, I then asked Dan Ashworth about the fact that, because he kept on talking about Newcastle spent two hundred million over the course of twenty twenty two, and he said that is unsustainable. So I asked him about the importance of the academy, something we know that he is heavily invested in, and how he sees that changing in the future for Newcastle. In any club, you want to have multiple strategies and be able to get players into the first team. So you've got here and now transfers that I've just talked about. You've got players that might be out on loan that come in. You might take a loan. So you might sign a player that is a lone player, so at target. Needed a left back towards the end of the window, good player. But fundamentally, a huge part and a huge passion of mine is the academy and youth development. And if we can get players on a regular basis coming through that system, one, it saves a lot of money in transfer fees and wages. And two, it reconnects the club with the city and the local community. You hear supporters all around the world, don't you, or all around the country, saying, saying he's one of our own. You know, the, the, the supporters love seeing a homegrown local player coming through the system. So ultimately, it hits a lot of ob objectives. So the academy in my, again, previous life, first 10 and 12 years of my career was as an academy manager. That passion for developing young players and giving them an opportunity has never left me. And I get more pleasure out of Elliot Anderson coming in and make his debut than signing a ready-made 29-year-old. But ultimately, they're my biases, and all of those things are important in order to give us a nice, balanced view of what does our squad look like. Because you need, you know, you need some young players, you need some experienced players, and you need some players that may be coming towards the end of their career to balance that team. And there's no better way of, of getting that by investing in and, and helping our academy with the, the right pathways through into the first team. So, can we expect more Garan Kuyols going forward? Is that sort of thing you're looking at? Yes, it is because, again, I've said in this, spending two hundred million pounds in one. Is unsustainable. You know, we can't continue to do that. Certainly, uh, you know, in, in in the current climate. So we have to find ways of getting talent through the building, and investing in potential, not performance. And there's a key difference. You know, if you want performance and you want a ready-made player, you go and sign a 24 to 29-year-old that's played 150 games in the Premier League, and you know what you're getting, and and you're more likely to get something then, but you pay for it. If you want to invest in something that's got potential and you're not quite sure yet, then you have to take a few more risks and you have to be a bit more patient and you have to try and put a pathway together with Shola and his team in loans, Steve and his team in the academy, um, and, and us to be able to create those pathways and opportunities for that young potential to come through into the first team. I just wanted to interject something very, very quickly there, just about that whole notion of selling your best players. I do think it's something that we've got this visceral reaction to this visceral response to as Newcastle United fans because however old you are we've grown up on this 
horrible, horrible thing where the best players go and aren't replaced. And we can, you know, it could be, you know, we were petrified about people like Kabai leaving, Andy Carroll left for all that money after we were told he wouldn't be sold and then is replaced by Shefki Kuchi on loan. And, you know, going back going back to my youth, people coming through like Gascoigne and, you know, incredible players that we produced ourselves and Waddle and others who then left and weren't replaced or weren't replaced properly. We have this horrible, horrible sort of sickness in our stomach when we think about Newcastle selling its best players, selling the family silver. But this is one of the ways that, you know, we have to get our head around this. It's perfectly possible. You look, look at what Manchester United have done over the past 12 months. They've brought in something like 200 million quid but they've got better and they've managed to bring in Haaland um you know and I think we've mentioned Bruno Gumarais as an example and not trying to get him out of the club but there is a chance that he becomes a Champions League player maybe he's already there before Newcastle are a Champions League club and so if Real Madrid do come and offer twice as much as Newcastle paid for him then that is something that they'll have to look at the difference now is that I would have faith that that money would get added onto the budget that was already there and Newcastle will then get better as a result of it now you know they've had an incredible hit rate in terms of the transfers they've brought in so far and that probably can't go on forever but you would have you would have a faith that Newcastle would use that money invest it sensibly and get better as I say I don't want Bruno to go I love him but I'm using that as an example it's quite possible that you know, until Newcastle are a top four club, that this is the situation that they have to face. And all clubs do it now. All clubs do it. And just to clarify, Dan Ashworth was asked specifically about Bruno Gimaraes and whether he'd leave. And he said, we do not want to sell Bruno. I, I want to make that clear. But he also made that same point. He also made the same point, actually, interestingly, about Eddie Howe. And he said... For a manager, it's very difficult because either where you are with Newcastle now, if he keeps winning so many games, then he may become really attractive to one of the very top teams as well before Newcastle are quite there. But if he doesn't win enough matches and Newcastle want to get there, he's almost got to win the exact number of matches to remain Newcastle manager over the course of the next few years. And So he was interested in that. I found Dan Ashworth to be fascinating because he was a lot more open than I expected. He addressed a lot uh, questions a lot more head-on than I necessarily expected him to be. And he, he he did that with Bruno. He was honest, whereas at the same time saying that we don't want to sell him, he, he also said, he, there was one point he basically asked back, how much how much would you guys sell him for? Would you sell him if, if we got an offer of £500 million tomorrow? Would you sell him? And it's just sort of that question. It's like, well, of course, if you get £500 million, you sell anyone. So it's, it's, it's again, it's nobody for sale. But Darren Eels, we also chatted to, and one of the questions that was asked about him was, Newcastle spent seemingly more than they intended to during the summer window, Going into January, is there money for Newcastle United to invest then? No, I mean, look, I think uh, I've spoken like we would normally, you know, summer windows are always the windows you want to try and do business in. I think, um, as you guys all know, you know, it's summer that you can plan for. Uh, January tends to be a little bit overinflated. But I think, you know, from our perspective, I spoke about the journey we're on. You know, we'll always be looking at it and constantly evolving the strategy. So I think, you know, it's a long-winded way of me saying, look, we'll always look at it and, you know, there'll always be the potential to do things. You know, you can always tinker with the squad if players are moving out, you can bring players in. But I think it's always going to be some of that we target from a key strategic position, just for the reasons that you have more time to bet those players in. That's interesting, Chris, isn't it? One of the things I'm, I'm sort of, one of the things I think about when it comes to January transfer windows as a Newcastle fan, because historically we haven't kicked on when we've been in good positions. And one of the things I worry about is that if Newcastle are in a position where we could kick on and potentially get into those European places, 
are they likely to spend the money to do that? Or will they think, well, actually, we're in the top 10. We're sitting pretty. We don't have to worry about relegation or anything like that this year. Let's just hold on to the money until the summer. I would like to see the club actually being ambitious and going for those additional three or four spaces in the league to try and get up there. Well, if Newcastle are going to do business in January, it's not going to be dictated by a lack of ambition. It will be dictated by how the market works, who is available, is the right player available for, for a price Newcastle are willing to pay. And and everyone I'm speaking to at the moment, the suggestion going into January is that Newcastle, as they have done the last couple of windows, are looking to, to be flexible. And so it's that they, they are not going in thinking we have to do X, Y and Z. But they would like to do certain things, and if they can, they will look to strengthen the squad here and there. We know Eddie Howe still wants a right-sided forward, and he wants a midfielder. They're the two priority positions at the moment. And it may be that rather than sign the the player who they think can be the long-term number six, for example, that might come next summer rather than in January, if they think that the right player is not available at the right price. But if if they think we can add one or two players here and really can get into Europe and the bright players are available, Newcastle, I am confident, will go and do it. That is that is the ambition. It's not going to be for a lack of ambition. It's just they will not also not act just for the sake of acting. They will act if the right deal is there at the right price. It's just really lovely and refreshing to hear people talking about Newcastle United from a strategic point of view. What's a strategy? Exactly. What is a strategy? But it's really nice. It's really nice to hear them uh, talking about the plans and about going forward. And actually, it sounded like they've got a coherent plan and a coherent strategy going forward into the future. I feel like with those two guys, the club is in fairly safe hands. You know, obviously things can go wrong and things can go right. But listening to the plan, we sound like a proper, sensible, grown-up football club. And I've never heard that before from Newcastle United. I think that's really important. They were very much aware of the need to talk. And as Chris said at the the start of this section, really what it took to break the logjam was for some semblance of a strategic statement to come from the chairman. It was felt that it wouldn't be right for the new people to, to talk publicly and openly without that having happened first. I think it's been really important because I think we were getting not to a dangerous position, but a position that we were quite familiar with under Mike Ashley, where the only person speaking publicly was the manager. I think that put too much pressure on Eddie Howe, really, answering questions, you know, whether it's about sports washing, whether it's about transfers, whether it's about all sorts of things around the club. And really, others should take the strain for a lot of that stuff. And so I'm really pleased. And yeah, I mean, I don't know Dan Ashworth uh, at all, really. I've met him. I wasn't, obviously, I wasn't around for this thing this week. I have met Darren Eels a couple of times and spent some, you know, quite a bit of time in his company. I really like him. You know, he's got big ideas and he's very open. And um, yeah, it's just very, you know, it's just hugely encouraging that they have these people of substance and stature there who will also keep fans engaged and up to date with what's happened. As Taylor said, to have strategy, you've got the on one side you've got you've got Dan Ashworth who uh, is is basically he's the brains behind the footballing project. He he controls all sporting matters, but equally as important in so many ways. We keep talking about commercial revenues. We keep talking about how much Newcastle need to grow the revenue streams coming in. And one of the things that Newcastle need to do is to to make sure that that, that they do grow that. And one of the areas they're going to do that with is through is through uh, commercial deals, including with PIF. And actually, Darren Eels tackled this head on, and he admitted that Newcastle will look to where possible allow PIF to, he said, quote unquote, open doors for them. And he believes that within the Premier League's uh, restructured rules, that Newcastle can still have some very good uh, deals from that. 
So uh, a little bit of breaking news, just literally as the podcast was going live, which is always the case, isn't it? Normally they wait until after we've hit record and then drop stuff. But uh, Peter Silverstone has been appointed Chief Commercial Officer for Newcastle United. He's uh, raced his way into pole position for that job, Chris. Uh, and that's a, a bit of news that we weren't expecting today. Don't shake your head at my puns. That's well, it's not even your stuff. pun. It was Ollie's. It was the producer's pun that you've stolen don't, from before. Don't give away the magic of recording. Don't be giving away. Don't be giving Ollie credit for this. <laughs> well, yes. So this is this is a, a positive appointment, a new position that Newcastle United did not have previously, and it is to gain to bolster that sort of commercial department. We had written about it, George and I, in our piece that that a chief commercial officer had already been appointed, and that the, the announcement was going to be imminent. Uh, and that is that's hugely positive news. And it was it was a lot. Of, as George mentioned before, a few of the things that we we mentioned that are going to be priorities going forward were discussed with Ashworth and Eels. The potential expansion of St James's Park, the potential to uh, have maybe a headline sponsor of St James's Park, something they would address the fans with first if they were going to be uh, St James's Park powered by a company potentially. They would discuss with fans whether the commercial benefit of that outweighs the this whatever fan, misgivings fans may have and explain to them why they would think about doing it. And at one point, Darren Eels even said, we may have to go to Australia one pre-season and that might get you a backup left-back. It was just interesting to hear that sort of, the fact that he said backup left-back as well, Newcastle United backup left-backs, it's just like, usually it would be under Mike Ashley, God knows what it would have been to, it would have been to sign a frontline centre-forward because you don't have one, never mind backup left-back. We already have nine backup left-backs. Well, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so we, we don't need we're anymore. Discuss, so That's the last position we need to go to <laughs> Australia for. Yeah. But also, I mean, Dan Ashworth was talking about the, the time that it would take to rebuild the squad. And also, as George and I were saying, that the, the sort of investment this year is seen as unsustainable. So it was it was good to have some of what we'd written about reconfirmed in that sense. But also to actually hear people speak on the record, people at Newcastle United, the vision that they got. So, so that going forward, we can see whether that has been delivered upon, that people can be held to account as that as well. It's not just Eddie Howe who is speaking. And actually, Darren Eels again was asked about, about that. And he said, well... Part of part of the manager's remit is they've got to speak twice a week, both before and after a game, and so he will be the one who speaks the majority of the time. But if 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 he and, and Ashworth can do a little bit of the the heavy lifting behind the scenes and address some of these issues, they will look to do so. And so hopefully going forward, on a sort of semi regular basis, we may hear from one or the other. And just very briefly, we talked at the top about whether being good defenders was sexy or not. Um, saying that Peter Silverson has been appointed. Chief Commercial Officer is like would feel like the absolute opposite of sexiness. But as we wrote in that big piece, Newcastle's commercial team has been four people, four people. And if you compare that to Manchester United and some of the other big clubs in the Premier League, you're talking about 250 people. I mean, so the gap is 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 astonishing. Newcastle need people like this because, again, the other way of driving revenue, obviously, you want to not sell good players if possible. The other way of driving revenue is by bringing in money commercially and Newcastle have not been doing that. They've not been able to do that. Historically, they've not done it because of the ties with Mike Ashley's other company, which I can't be bothered to mention. And, you know, they have to they have to expand and they have to do it quickly. And that is really the next big challenge for the for the club. So, you know, not not a sexy appointment in lots of ways, but they absolutely have to do it and they have to get on with it. So it's it's it is actually exciting. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's have our fingers crossed that Peter Silverstone can provide Newcastle with the correct formula for commercial success. Oh, God's sake. Uh, we'll be back. No, we won't be back if you keep doing that. 
too early in the morning for that shit. Oh man, Plus, I keep forgetting that you that you're miles away from us, aren't you? I just think you're you're just up the road, but you're not. Time zones and everything. We will be back in just a moment to talk about Everton and Spurs and the increasing list of injuries that Newcastle United have. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. So we have a list of the Athletics Newcastle articles uh, on our running order with the author list beside each one. And today it reads, Chris, Isaac out until after the World Cup. What a wicked game to play, Chris. What? Chris, who <laughs> hates music, has no, and is, is far Chris, too young. you don't know who Chris Isaac is, I have no is, idea what that means. I got it. Blue Hotel. What a great song. Uh, wicked Game. What a great song. What a wicked game to play. Are you all right, George? No, I was just having a slight seizure. But Chris, you don't know who Chris Isaac is, do you? No. <laughs> Blue Hotel. I love a bit of Chris Isaac. Well, Chris, I'll tell you what, I'll never fall in love with you, if that's your kind of attitude. Um, right. Wow. More seriously, though, lads, we do have several games uh, to play coming up soon and several injury problems as well, Chris. We've got a little bit of info from Eddie Howe about uh, the well-being of Alan St. Maximan and... Isaac as well, but it's going to be difficult without them, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the reports going into to the game that Sam Maximan and Isaac had, had had respective setbacks, and I asked Eddie Howe about it after the game, and he said, yes, he described them both as huge blows. So Alexander Isak has re-injured the thigh that he had uh, initially suffered the problem on when he was away with, with uh, Sweden. It's the same issue, and basically Howe said it, it's probably... It's probably likely that Newcastle are not going to see him back in a black and white shirt before the World Cup break uh, in the middle of November. And then with Ansan Maximan, he has redone uh, the hamstring injury, which is a minor injury in, in some ways, but he's done it now three times. So he's re-injured it twice in the same way. And so Howe said that, that if it had just been that injury of its own accord, he might only be out for a few days. But instead, what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to be very careful. They're going to have to manage him back from this injury and didn't really give a time scale. So I think it's going to be a course of weeks before we see Ansat Maximan as well. And given how important both of those are in attacking sense to Newcastle, it really is a, it's a blow given the, the number of fixtures they've got to navigate between now and the World Cup still. Absolutely. Everton, you would think that would be a winnable game, George. Spurs a little bit more tricky though. Yeah, absolutely. Look at all these games now. You don't look at any of them with a sense of trepidation or, or concern. Absolutely. I'll be back for the Everton game, really looking forward to, to seeing it. feels like it's been a while. 
Yeah, it's it's the the squad does feel narrow at the moment, or that's maybe not the right word. The squad feels skinny. That is the concern. Can it get through a week like this one, where it's three three games in seven or eight days? That will be a test. But no, you just just look forward to Everton as a winnable game, definitely. And then you look at the Spurs game as a good challenge, as somewhere that you know Newcastle will go, and fingers crossed, will. We'll put up a put up a fight. I'm just very excited about that. And just on a slight positive injury update, it was John Joe Shelby was on the bench at Old yes. Trafford, and that is positive seeing back. Obviously, he hasn't played yet this season due to a hamstring problem. He's come back slightly sooner than expected. How said afterwards that he would have been keen to bring him on in many ways, someone who could have provided that pass, but he has to be a little bit careful and can't rush him back. So I don't know if we'll see him against Everton or against Spurs, certainly not starting but he will play a part, hopefully, before the World Cup, and that gives Newcastle another option. It may allow Bruno Gimaraes to get higher up the pitch if Newcastle change things around a little bit and play Shelby as a sixer in the course of the next couple of weeks. So that is the fact that he's back is a huge positive because he was very important to how Newcastle uh, revived themselves during the second half of last season. Can I just check, Chris, is Fabian Cher okay as well? I need to know. Fabian Cher is okay, yes. It was mainly cramp, I think, towards the end of the game, but he is he is fine and he, he should be available. He took a right shoeing, didn't he, against Man United? And he fell down that little stupid hill that they've got behind that goal as well and nearly broke his leg. I was raging at that. Yeah, and Newcastle That's had to defend so a corner unsafe. with 10 men because of it as well. I know. It's disgusting, honestly. Uh, anyway, I think that's just about it, chaps. Anything else to add before we finish things off? No. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I think we've done enough, haven't we? One last thing before we go, and I will quickly do this, uh, a little dedication. Today's podcast is dedicated uh, to Joe Allen, uh, also known as the Jarrow Elvis, who sadly passed away this week. A titan of the Northeast entertainment scene, let's call him that As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.